0: Welcome to the Heart Rate Variability Podcast. Each week, we talk about heart rate variability and how it can be used to improve your overall health and wellness. Please consider the information in this podcast for your informational use and not medical advice. Please see your medical provider to apply any of the strategies outlined in this episode. Heart Rate Variability Podcast is a production of Optimal LLC and Optimal HRV. Check us out at OptimalHRV.com. Please enjoy the show. Welcome, friends to the Heart Rate Variability Podcast. I'm Matt. I'm here with a very special guest that I've got to know him in his work uh over the last maybe over a year since we first got introduced. Uh Jason Waz uh from NeuroPT Tech, um, who I've just become a fan of uh his thinking and have been honored to do do a little work where where our interests cross over. So I'm excited to really uh nerd out uh Jason with you about your work. Uh how HRV informs your work and uh, get into it. But before we do just uh, for our audience, uh, introduce yourself.
1: Yeah, thanks for having me. Uh, First and foremost, I'm a physical therapist by trade. Um, I have a private practice in Tampa, Florida. Uh, Been a PT for about, I don't even know now, 1996, whatever that math is. (laughs) Uh, I haven't had my practice since 2007. And uh, always been kind of like, um gadget geek more or less and uh for physical therapists and for myself specifically it's like a lot of times the technology and gadgets that you try to bring into your practice is like a shiny object that yeah. you kind of lose interest on really quickly and um, heart rate variability is something that I kind of stumbled upon that I, I'm sure if you have any physical therapists you know listening to this podcast uh Probably because, you know, five years ago, I knew nothing about it. We weren't taught about it. But uh, when I first, you know, came across the benefits and the impact, just looking at heart rate variability can come in, you know, to my patients. uh, uh, It was just like opened up a whole new realm of possibilities as just like a diagnostic as a physical therapist, because uh, back in the day, we used to always call anything that wasn't like injury based wellness. And wellness is kind of like an old term now. Yeah. And we started using the word optimal health, which I know you know, you have a product called optimal E. <laughs> That's how I found you and how we actually met, you know, I think a, a little over a year ago. Yep. Long and the short of it is uh I, you know, for the past five to ten years, I've been utilizing my practice as kind of like a think tank for emerging technology and uh, kind of have you know, built a bit of a reputation as as a PT who can kind of bring, you know, some things that aren't really well known. And more importantly, things that might seem complex to other physical therapists and really, you know, super simplify them uh, to the point where it may be helping bring new ideas to market. So, uh, you know, I have a sign behind me that says, remember your why. and My why is kind of you know, not only helping my own patients here in Tampa, but helping each other help others in the physical therapy profession through my company, new PT Tech, uh, which uh, kind of brings innovative technology to the forefront of the minds of physical therapists all over the all over the country in the United States.
0: I love it. So my, you know, having worked with some PTs over the years personally with injuries and other things, you know, I, you know, I, I, think sometimes short-sighted, uh, you know, we're working with you all. I know that your scope is bigger than like, oh, I've, I, you know, got a knee injury. I'm going to my, I have doctor says I gotta go to PT once a week for like that prescriptive thing, very specific thing. I'd love uh, just maybe for our audience, like broaden our understanding of, of how you see physical therapy, because, you know, we've had conversations about things like long-haul COVID and other things as well that wouldn't necessarily fit, I think, under a lot of people's, like me, who's been to a PT for a very specific purpose. Just sort of spread that out for us um, about how you look at uh, uh, physical therapy.
1: Yeah, I feel like we always have to be curious, uh, inquisitive, and always be learning. And that's, you know, that's, it's easy to say, but do, do we actually live by it? Um, right. You know, with some of the new technology and heart rate variability is by no means new, but there's right. devices that are yes. improving, like like your device and in some of the things that I've been using in my clinic. But you know, but bringing new ideas to a field where they're traditionally not, you know. Part of the tradition. Yeah. Uh, And heart rate variability is one of those things. The newbie e-stem device was the first thing that kind of got me into the medical technology and, you know, stand at the top of the highest mountain and tell everybody about it based on how well we get with outcomes with that device that kind of ties in the heart rate variability. We can talk about it in a bit, but physical therapists are like any traditional western medical practice where we're taught to ask, you know, um to look at the research to, you know, base everything on evidence-based practice, but something like heart rate variability that's been around forever, it's not been necessarily applied to a physical therapy business and a physical therapy patient model over the years and so you can imagine the frustration that you know, I've had early on with bringing new things to market and telling people about new ideas, because the question is, okay, show me, you know, 20 case studies and 20 peer-reviewed research projects specifically about heart rate variability and how specifically it helps physical therapists. And I go to, well, if you just go on Google and, you you know, you cross reference autonomic nervous system, uh, heart rate variability, vagus nerve stimulation, You'll find tons of articles, but you have to just be curious and open-minded enough. I'm a big uh, Einstein quote guy, and one of the quotes that he's famous for saying is, "I'm going to look at it so I don't butcher it." But if uh, if we knew what we were doing, it wouldn't be called research, would it? You know, so <laughs> I love that. But with anything new, if there's not research or anything that point directly points to your field, are you not going to be curious and look into it? So that's kind of where I spent my my last five years in my own practice doing uh, clinical trials and case studies. And, you know, one of those big case study projects we started back in 2017 was uh, noticing that. with a rudimentary HRV monitoring device, we use pulse magnetic field and the device that we use has, has like a finger sensor. So it would give us a little graph on where did the yeah. HRV start? And I really didn't even know what to look for in that because I really wasn't paying attention to HRV at the time, but I would notice that the HRV scores, um, that graph always looked better after doing specific interventions that were kind of unique to the practice. And so what I did is I had a a student intern that, you know, for the entire four months he was with us, I said, well, let's look at every patient intervention, whether it's traditional physical therapy, whether it's using technology like the newbie device, which has a vagus nerve reset protocol, or whether it's PEMF, whether it's a heavy workout, and let's just kind of start tracking. What was their heart rate variability at the beginning of the session? What specific intervention did we do? And we did like probably six or seven different interventions over the course. And what was their heart rate variability at the end? And so part of doing research, especially with clinical trials and research is just gather the data right? and sit on it and look at the data at a later time and see what adds up. And we found you know, two specific, specific interventions really helped move the needle on improving a patient's heart rate variability. Uh, one was pulse magnetic field, low dose of that. And one was the newbie master reset, which stimulates the vagus nerve. And then you know, at the same token, we also noticed that if we really kind of did a lot of heavy exercise that the patient's HRV would tank immediately after the the session, but over the next two or three days with specific interventions, it would exponentially rise. So we do a lot of work with the military because McDill Air Force Base is here in Tampa as well. Mm -hmm. And most of the as they call them, the uh, higher speed uh employees of the government. <laughs> yeah, uh, generally monitor their 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 metrics and their, you know, you know, things that are going on in their body. So many of them would wear like wearables like a aura yeah. ring or, you know, your device wasn't out at that point in time, which would have been great with the, you know, with the dashboard that's you know, HIPAA compliant. But uh so and we would start just looking at trends and really started, that's when I really started thinking, hey, this needs to be part of our normal standard operating procedure when wherever we're assessing any patient, any client, any customer, whether it's performance, optimal health, physical therapy, because it, it really is a snapshot looking at heart rate variability into, you know, how healthy is the most important part of the system of right. our being that controls everything, which, you know, starts with the autonomic nervous system, so.
0: Yeah. And I wonder, like, as you like become a leader in this area in physical therapy and beyond, I, I know you, you, your scope of your practice is pretty big and, and it seems to be expanding every time I talk to you. So, like, I, I'm interested, again, take, take, forgive the layman's understanding, but is, is how much was, I guess, historically, physical therapists thinking about the autonomic nervous system and autonomic regulation and then ha- have you seen that changing as you've started to have these conversations is it kind of an easy conversation is it harder I'd, lo- I'd love to kind of hear your experience uh of bringing the the hrv science into physical therapy
1: yeah to be honest with you um i personally and i feel like i'm pretty well-rounded generalist and you know I'm, i've been in it for a long enough time so eventually you kind of you know, you learn things and it kind of sticks right <laughs> uh, but as a physical therapist i would guess if i had to kind of pigeonhole you know based on just where you know physical therapists i've worked with and i still work with that have worked in my practice and myself hardly to answer your first question is hardly ever pay attention to the autonomic nervous system the, the what what the two condi- the one condition that changed names over the past 10 years that got us thinking about the autonomic nervous system if we got that patient to come through our doors Used to be called reflex sympathetic dystrophy, now it's called complex regional pain syndrome (CRPS). Hmm. So we would pay attention to it, but really not know how to treat it, you know, and and desensitize that part of the body into functioning. And so, you know, a lot of you know physical therapists, we look at vitals and you know recovery rates and things like that. And you know, if we work in athletics, uh, you you can kind of tell when a, an athlete is in burnout mode because their progress is 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 uh, Delayed or they 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 plateau because they're kind of you know, overtraining and so we knew that but we never really directly attributed it in a, a case by case on a daily basis with autonomic nervous system and uh, like I said when I started looking at that and and just being able to you know tell a patient okay you are overtraining from an athletic standpoint this is where you're at showing them a metric on a piece of paper on a colorful graph if the software will allow that with heart rate variability and saying, okay, we're going to do this one passive treatment called the master reset with the newbie, where we just put electrodes on your neck and on the bottom of your feet using pulse direct current in a proprietary way. There's no way I would have convinced that athlete to lay on a table for 20 minutes with this special e stim. They would think they had tens unit on their neck and on their feet. And how's this going to help me with athletic performance? But when you can explain it to them and show them the metric first that in kind of layman's terms, you know, talking about sympathetic is kind of like the you know, if there's a cheetah chasing a gazelle, you know, yeah. the gazelle needs to be able to run really fast with their sympathetic nervous system dominance to run from the cheetah. But if the cheetah catches the gazelle and starts eating it, the cheetah needs to be in parasympathetic so they can digest the food that they just, so you, but your body needs to be in a balance between the two. And if you're yeah. really, you know, swayed one way or the other, we need to kind of be able to adapt to that freely. But if they don't have a, a, a visual or a clear understanding of why that's even important, you're not going to get anywhere with them. And if you don't even know as the treating clinician and you're just guessing, I, I kind of compare it to playing darts. You can either play darts with your eyes open or eyes closed. But, you know, if you if you know somebody's autonomic nervous system is in the tank, they have uh, low HRV, they're more or less sympathetic dominant. Um, you shouldn't really be, you know, using an intervention that taxes their body physically or mentally or emotionally that much more in that session, you should be doing the things that help recover. So really in my practice and what I teach to the thousands of other physical therapists that I've had the opportunity to kind of work with over the past five years is it gives you, the therapists know the term evidence-based practice. So this is like the best way to really on a day-to-day basis with a real simple five minute assessment to determine evidence-based practice in your physical therapy practice. So I think that's usually what gets them to kind of raise an eyebrow and uh, start thinking about, maybe I do need to kind of look into this, you know. um, I talk to my staff all the time. We have a weekly staff meeting uh, uh, called a WIG meeting, talk about our wildly important goals to keep us accountable to each other. And, uh, you know, one of the things that when somebody brings up like a suggestion of how we can improve, I always go back to, okay, so what? And not to kind of belittle the question, I want people to be thinking that way. But the so what is what's the end result of how you're actually going to utilize this and how is it going to benefit more people to benefit more, you know, to benefit others? And that's kind of in a nutshell, what usually gets the attention of other therapists and clinicians when you say, hey, evidence based practice this is the best thing I know, you know, how to how to follow that.
0: Awesome. So I'd love to like, look a little bit more detailed into your practice. because I know you've developed some platforms yourself. So uh, you learn about heart rate variability start. uh, uh, It sounds like we had basically a kind of a similar experiences. Oh, I got to learn more about this and more about this and then wanting to share with other people. But I'd love to just kind of as you've integrated in and developed you know, your your own approaches and a little bit of your own technology, like just kind of, uh, you know, you, you learned about it, you're passionate about it. you're in a field that doesn't talk about it a whole lot, kind of where when I got into mental health, we weren't talking a ton about it as well. So so uh, let, let's continue like how you, some progress that you made, exciting stuff that you've been able to develop to support the integration to PT.
1: Yeah, well, starting with getting it in front of all of our patients and educating them. I also, you know, coach PT practice owners and, and kind of the business side. But yeah, um, again, the so what. So you have to have, you know, what we call in business standard operating pr- procedures or SOPs. And you know, I bring HRV and some of these other technologies to a lot of practices. Like I said, I've, I think I've worked with over three thousand private practices in the U.S. and over thirty-five hundred therapists you know, over the past five years. But it starts with simplicity and transparency. So if in, in with a standard operating procedure with introducing heart rate variability, and then we can talk about how we expand it after that. But I think it's important to understand. Yeah, um, you have to you have to do things and, and educate your your customer base, in our case, patients or our athletic clients. In the same way, the first time, every time. Otherwise, you, again, you're playing like Sophie's Choice with who gets yeah. to know what or who gets to be treated with what. So, with the things that you know are your big differentiators for us, it's the newbie device and heart rate variability. Mm-hmm. You have to kind of educate every single person that walks to the door on that in a routine, simplistic, easy to understand way. So, uh, we have we we've created just like single page PDFs, bullet points that talk about like the gazelle and the cheetah and you know things yeah. that might be important to them. Uh, show them a quick video. And then uh, the the session after their initial PT eval. So let's say they come in on Monday for their physical therapy evaluation. The session after that, whether it's Wednesday or Thursday, we always start with getting a baseline heart rate variability assessment. And we relate that back to the information they told us are their pain points or their problem areas on their evaluation. And still to this day, you mentioned something earlier, Patients still mostly come to physical therapy because their doctor told them they have to go because they have an injury or an ailment or an illness or a a pull or a twist or a weakness. Um, they don't know that almost every state in the United States right now is a direct access state where you can come to see us, you know, within reason for any, you know, physical condition, um, but at the same time, we have to educate them on, again, what we talked about earlier is the autonomic nervous system. So we always get a baseline HRV and kind of do all that stuff for them. What it's led to though, is I was actually introduced to you, you know, by a good friend and colleague of mine that you have worked with as well named Jody Hinkle. And Jody mm-hmm. uh, started working with me in my practice a couple of years ago, doing, helping us do market research. And it wasn't even about heart rate variability or, or anything like that. But what happened is we event, we Wanted to see like, where can we get better referral sources in our area? What what did the market demand and it actually after about six months of working with Jody, um, it was during COVID. And, uh, you know, COVID was kind of coming to what we think was a close a couple of years ago.
0: Yeah. <laughs> something knock on any wood around you uh but something called
1: long COVID and long haulers yeah started coming around and we started noticing the patients that would come in again for like a shoulder issue or a back issue when we took their history they were having they said oh my doctor either told me i have long COVID, or i'm having these symptoms and they're all symptoms like brain fog sensitivity to light and sound you know weakness persistent you know respiratory things all that stuff and so after working with Jody, we developed a whole long COVID protocol. And about, I don't know, six months into developing that, she's like, hey, have you heard about this book, you know, written by Matt Bennett, you know, <laughs> and he, he has a whole like wearable system for heart rate. And you know, here's the book. I did read it J- at Jody's like, <laughs> and, and, and so we started thinking, okay, you know, we have a clinical system that we get a baseline of heart rate variability, but your system, Optimal HRV, I think is still the only uh, HIPAA compliant dashboard system that you could use in medical communities and be compliant and things. And so there's very much a need for, for wearables for these patients as well. So, you know, we're still working through some of the you know logistics of kind of incorporating that into our long COVID protocol. But that was one of the biggest things. I mean, there's so many people that are suffering from long COVID. And in Florida, I know of one clinic in central Florida that has like a six to eight month waiting list. It's like a diagnostic center uh to be able to treat, you know, long COVID. And these people are having a huge impact on their life. Most of them aren't able to work anymore when it gets, you know, really bad. So it's really you know, uh, been a big issue. So, but if we didn't have heart rate variability, when these long COVID patients come in, it's literally the first test, first diagnostic they've ever had that actually gives them some hope where it shows we were able to look into their nervous system and actually show them why they're feeling like they're feeling brain fog, irritability, sensitivity, light and sound weakness, you know, all this stuff, you know, it, it really, they're like, Holy moly. I'm I'm not crazy. I'm like, no, you're not. And this is the re- most of them are at like the lowest 10 percentile on heart rate variability when you get initial yeah. baseline. And we can kind of relate to them like after the specific interventions that I mentioned at the beginning of this podcast that we can do just for phase one, usually within a, within two weeks, that score improves if it's like below 10%, to let's say 20 or 30% of improvement. And when I see that, okay, evidence-based practice, we're moving in the right direction where if we just took physical therapy and we wanted to, you know, stretch it, if it's tight, strengthen it, if it's weak, you know, improve on balance, if they're in balance, we'd be kind of spinning our wheels. So just for that particular diagnosis, it's like, it's not only hugely impactful to that patient group with long COVID, but I think it's the only reason a lot of them get better is because they actually can see why they're feeling like they're feeling and they know we're on the right path for that particular, you know, you know, condition and there's a lot more work to be done, but that's the uh, early on what we've been seeing.
0: Yeah, and I'm interested to see, you know, because I I think I don't know if long haul COVID is going to be a chronic disease. I'm hoping it's not. Uh, but, you know, it seems to be just uh, for I mean, this is personal people that I know and have talked to like really a uh, just oh, a terrible Condition uh, to deal with, and I'm so I'm kind of interested. Like as you start to work with folks um, who've experienced this, just kind of what what have you just from your personal experience seen HR HRV related or otherwise?
1: Um, Well, uh, one of the things is is again getting um, letting educating the general public uh, that there are other alternative diagnostics and medicine out there that can kind of at least help them identify a baseline of where they're at. So that's kind of, um, that's kind of, like I said, where we start with it. So we did a whole campaign in a local publication, like a press release that released in a health and wellness publication that goes to doctor's offices, just, um, just kind of relating to their, uh, their problems that they're having. So uh, we just kind of listed some of the symptoms and have you been told, or do you think you might have long COVID? If so, you know, come in for a free screening. And so we would do screenings of HRV sessions. And again, it literally was the cross between patients looking like they saw a ghost after they saw their report and breaking down emotionally into, oh my God, like, I, you know, literally I'm not crazy. These symptoms yeah. are like real and I can actually see why they're, why you know, why they're there. And then uh, having done the previous leg work with using some of the other technology over the past, you know, several years since 2017 of, of knowing what things through doing hundreds of of trials and case studies generally will help improve, you know, their health and and not. And so that's kind of like the starting point, but, you know, so with the long COVID protocol, we have two weeks where we're only doing the passive stuff that we know helps the autonomic nervous system, including meditation and mindfulness and biofeedback, which again, this isn't a plug whatsoever. I know you don't. You probably don't even like there being a plug for your product on your podcast, but
0: it's okay. I don't mind. But having <laughs> the,
1: but 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 having the biofeedback things built in there and, and determining your uh, resonance frequency for how many breaths per minute. There's tons of research out there that say it may be six breaths per minute yeah. over the course of a large study, but with your particular product, you can determine the exact resonance frequency that helps that exact person determine how many breaths per minute when they're practicing mindfulness to help improve their heart rate variability and to train, like you would train a weak muscle, but to train, you know, my understanding is you train the autonomic nervous system to be able to calm itself down. A famous story in in sports is like Steph Curry, you know, when, you know, with the you know, basketball player, when he's getting ready to do a free throw, he can, he knows how to, you know, mindfully kind of get his heart rate down to like a, something like in the thirties or forties, something crazy. I'm, I'm probably misquoting, but something crazy, but he can kind of do that by being very well mindful of what's going on in his body. For the average person out there, you have to do so much training and so much stuff to get to that point. But if you have something that just directs you through an app based product like yours, and you can kind of, you know, just follow the the ramp going up to breathe, follow yes. the ramp going down to breathe. And knowing through monitoring your heart rate variability while they're doing that initial test, that that's going to be ideal for them. And the patient or, or client does that two or three times a day. Like you give them something that's very rare, real, that's science and, you know, metrics and stats based, you know.
0: Awesome. Yeah, I mean, that that the RF has just been a game changer for me personally too. I mean, I just love, that, you know, because I you, like the six breaths per minute, is kind of what you hear. But, you know, once I got to four breaths, which is what mine is, I just saw kind of my really my baseline scores just went, went up tremendously. And it's just like it's great to have that data to say, oh, yeah, this is not only kind of cool that everybody has, a you know, their their certain rate but also just to see that results on the baseline over time as well. Just like, okay, yeah. this is, this is real. Cause I'm seeing that in of one for me, just trend in obviously direction we want to see HRV going in. So it, really- and it
1: follows the number one rule in my, in my practice and in my business is if, is it simple and is it transparent? And the, right. the way that works, it's completely simple. You just follow what's on the screen. Transparent because you see the results at the end, and that's really what drives compliance for the patient. And to see if they don't see, you know, I'm a medical provider, so by definition, I'm changing gears a little bit, but it's pertinent. Yeah, by definition, I'm horrible at sales and I'm horrible at marketing. As medical practitioners, the words the the word sale is a four letter word, right? Yeah, but uh, if you're teaching, you're not selling, right? And uh, that's kind of that's that's kind of uh, you know, part of it, and uh. But the bottom line is if you're not listening to your patient either and you don't know what their problem is, if they don't have a problem, there's nothing to sell them. If they don't have a if you don't listen to their problem, there's nothing you can educate them, that, which will make their ear perk up. It's kind of like the 90-10 rule. If if it's yeah. useful to 90% of the people, but based on your messaging, it only gets through to 10%. Yeah, it's like you're, it's a, it's a lost cause. Right. So that's kind of where I've been You know, fortunate enough to kind of um, see things from a big picture and be able to kind of, you know, take things that are could be very complex and really simplify them. And that's kind of what the way I've gotten through to so many other physical therapy practices over the past several years here is by taking kind of complex things that would be really difficult for them as an association to kind of, you know, understand and onboard, not because it's that tough, but because they're, they're, so much in their whirlwind of everything else they're already doing. But if you can make it super simple through an app or through a device or through a five-minute test and show them how to kind of relate back to the patients, then you, you get to 90% of the people instead of just yeah.
0: 10%. Absolutely. Well, yeah, absolutely. So I, I'm interested, you know, sort of, uh, and I got a follow-up to this as well more generally, but I wonder... As you start to advocate for this, um, introduce, again, some emerging best practices into physical therapy, sort of how do you see this spreading out there? Um, You know, are are people getting excited about this? Like, where do you kind of see in physical therapy specifically heart rate variability sort of growing and uh, getting more exposure uh, within the field. Do, do you think that it's open to that? I just kind of interested how you see sort of your work, you know growing in this with with the heart rate variability uh, passion you have.
1: Yeah, there's about uh, and I'm in the private practice sector, but it's obviously very important in acute care and subacute yeah. and like that, right? Um, and And this is just physical medicine. you know, people have aches and pains and want to be able to perform better. But there's about, I think, about 40,000 physical therapy private practices in the United States. And I know that about 3,000 of them have heard about heart rate variability through us. I don't know if many of them are using it. You know, I know, you know we also work with a lot of professional sports teams with very, you know, to various extents, whether it be, you know, working with their athletes or working with the training staff to bring on technology. And, um, Most teams have what they call a um, performance scientist, you know, with them. And so those groups generally are monitoring heart rate variability through wearables. So I think uh, it's kind of like if you can kind of go into the private sector with professional teams and they're using it, eventually, I think it's going to trickle down, even if it's not related to sports and to the grand scheme of things. But I feel like from a, just from a business model standpoint, um, you have to have something that just works, and there's you know enough science behind. And heart rate variability definitely has that. Um, uh, but I, I feel like it's what they call a blue ocean kind of product, yeah. or blue ocean strategy, because it's so easy to use and interpret, but it's being used and so few. Yeah. You know, just talking about the outpatient private practice sector. It's relatively inexpensive. It's easy to learn, easy to use, easy to interpret. So I think the the platform, I mean, you know, maybe it needs to be on Dr. Oz or something. I don't know. (laughs) But that's the most frustrating part, right? You know how well it works. I know how well it works, but how do we get to so many, yeah, so many people? So I'm at all the conferences with new fit promoting the newbie and talking to people how amazing that thing is that I think is going to win the Nobel prize in science in the next, you know, five to 10 years based on the things that that thing's doing. But I always have my heart rate variability assessment tool there. And I I talk to people about that while I'm talking about these complementary other pieces of technology. So, uh, it's still kind of in the boots on the ground. Um, doing podcasts like this definitely helps get it out there. Uh, you know, and, uh, but it's, it's, that's probably the most frustrating part with anything new that, you know, can help so many people is, is you have to be very patient with getting through to either a lot of the kind of right people or a lot of the really right people that can help you promote it. Um, and, uh, I think the people that are in the middle, one of the things that Chris McChesney, who uh, is part of like the four disciplines of execution, he wrote the book, which is how we do our wig meeting and how we have our accountability meeting. Um, he says, whenever you're kind of uh, approaching people with something new, there's, there's three groups, right? You got the hell knows, the people that don't want to adopt and they're going to fight you the whole way. You got the yeah. hell yeses that are the early adopters. And then you got the people in the middle. Chris yeah. says, work on the people in the middle. And so that's kind of where we're working right now. The ones that are kind of have their radar up. They kind of, you know, understand it a bit. They're listening to it, but um, at the same time, you have to know that they have a patient population that has the problems, which we know they all do. But you have to kind of relate to the the problems, and you have to be a bit of a salesperson, and you know, sell on the pain points of the problems that they're having, right. you know, and not uh, not trying to create a solution for a problem like sometimes we do in other sectors of the the world or i won't i won't go there
0: <laughs> yeah exactly so anything else like the, the, the newbie I, I find really fascinating i'd love for you to just talk a little bit more uh, about that system because I, I thought it was really cool uh some of the science you were implementing around that
1: yeah so uh the newbie device is a pulse direct current electrical stem machine which is one of the very few i think it's the only pulse direct current stem machine that's fda cleared to to work on uh Sick people work on people with ailments and conditions, and it basically is much different than what somebody would think of as like a tens unit or a you know you see the stim machines that people put on their abs on TV and yeah. it says it's abs. Those are all alternating current, but the way that Garrett Saulpeter, who's the inventor, neuroscientist, and engineer that created it, they're based out of Austin, Texas, and his company NewFit. Um, I was the first PT to kind of discover the newbie. I didn't create it. But when I say discover, I mean, I heard about it from somebody who went to like a biohacking convention before <laughs> it was even FDA cleared. And they said, hey, you should check this thing out. Uh, it uh, seems like some of the stuff that you like to tinker with, you should you know check it out. So I looked up new fit. This is like you know, middle of 2017 on online. And I called the number, and Garrett, the guy who invented the machine and the neuroscientist, who's the CEO of the company, answered the phone. <laughs> <laughs> and uh, just, I just uh, felt like it was a good enough thing to kind of look into, and the company culture, based on where he said he wanted to go, and just wanted to help people and help make the world a better place with, you know, helping get rid of pain and things like that. So, long story short, is like a couple weeks after I spoke to Garrett, I flew from Tampa to go to his facility. In Austin, Texas, and uh, was one of the first like trainees of this new technology that just got FDA cleared. And I was one of two physical therapists in the group. Everybody else was either a business person or a biohacker or bodybuilder. Yeah, I remember uh, when I just dis- when I went there and learned to learn about? it, I was with him for three or four days. He was talking about the neuroscience behind it, and he said, you know, something along the lines of, "Hey, well, the newbie detects like the fastest afferent muscle fibers, the Golgi tendon, and muscle spindle." and he goes jason you're one of the only medical people in here can you explain the difference between the muscle spindle and the golgi tendon organ i'm like uh i know them, but i know i'm gonna mess it up burrito supreme can i punt this one thanks yeah you know, yeah i've been out of school for 20 years at that point in time and it's said you know. that's
0: not a simple question either that it should be
1: but if you feel if you, like you're used to pushing on bodies and things you don't think about it so when you said like you know, the nervous system and how did you have to go back and learn about the autonomic nervous system? I even forgot like what a Golgi tendon, organ and muscle spindle did. So when you said physical therapist, everything about the autonomic nervous system. And I think we take a med surge class in our first semester of PT school and have to kind of, you know, go through all the processes of autonomic and sympathetic, parasympathetic versus central nervous, you know, the whole thing. Right. And, uh, so, uh, I've come a long way since then. Let me just say, yeah. (laughs) But so the newbie device is, it's an amazing thing. It it works in three ways. We're able to identify uh, spots on the body. Let's say somebody has a shoulder issue. Uh, We're able to do what we call mapping and move it around the person's shoulder, wherever they feel the electricity, the most at a certain, you know, baseline level, those are the two spots we're going to treat. So again, just like the HRV it's, it's, playing darts with your eyes open. And what it's looking for are spots where the body's already like spastic or has a a muscle tension or increased muscle tone. It's, you know, you're finding things that you need to inhibit, not finding things that are weak. And so if you can kind of turn down the artifact of things that are overactive and overprotecting because you have an injury and illness, uh, you know, whatever. So that's the first thing it does. We're able to map. And then you just use the device by having the patient move And what happens is within a couple of reps, they start feeling electricity less. So we know we're kind of using that electricity. I kind of say almost like a shot collar on a dog, but not that intense, where their body kind of learns that that's not a protective mechanism that they have to do. It starts calming down and calming down and calming down. So within one session, you get like a 10x multiplier because you're just doing the same movement that you would do in physical therapy, but it eliminates that afferent feedback to the brain telling those muscles they have to overprotect. So that's one of the uses of it. Another one is what we talked about, the autonomic nervous reset. We call it the master reset. You just put two of the pads on the back of the neck and two on the bottom of the feet and just let the patient relax on a on a table or a bed for 20 minutes while it's running really light. And, you know, it basically works by vagus nerve stimulation. So it automatically, you know, down-regulates the autonomic nervous system. And then uh, the third thing that it really is, is done, and we have two peer-reviewed studies that it acts as almost like an anabolic effect for muscle building. So we did a study with University of South Florida. Um, and Sam Buckner is the researcher there, and he has like 60 published studies on blood flow restriction. But the first study was done a couple of years ago, and they just detected bicep strength with the newbie, uh, with no weight, no resistance, just doing so many reps, you know, with the arm. And then they had to, did traditional heavy weight resistance training with the other arm. And the results of that study showed that the person that just worked the arm that just worked out on the newbie had a less perceived effort. The delayed onset muscle soreness was worse than the traditional workout. But the muscle histological changes and the muscle growth was the same virtually as working out with heavy weight. So think about the impact of that with being able to kind of work out and develop muscle activity and muscle mass without putting any stress across the ligaments, tendons or joints. So that's kind of the trifecta of how it works. But uh, we also noticed by using the newbie, by doing that workout with less perceived effort, um, initially makes heart rate variability tank because it's a really heavy yeah. workout even though we didn't use weights but over the next three days with the rebound we notice it's better on day two even better on day three and even better on day four that's... compared to like what it would have been if you just did no intervention so that's one of the really cool things that we detected in our case studies.
0: I, You know vagal stimulation is one of those interesting topics that I, I think there's maybe enough cheap devices on the market that it kind of can get a bad name I, I would just love because i think to get a voice out of there that somebody who's utilizing it clinically would be really valuable for for our, our listeners so i would love to just that aspect of your work what, what are some uh, benefits you see as somebody's on that table um, getting uh, what i would call a clinical grade you know, I'm not just like doing this. Yeah, I think and, uh, the
1: biggest uh, thing with the with the newbie devices, it's Pulse Direct Current and everything else out there that you would see like on the market, whether it's on Amazon or you see yeah. these ads on social media for this. And I, I actually have them sent to me by my own customers, by colleagues of mine that use our technology and believe in it and know the research probably three times a week i'll get something sent by somebody hey did you see this thing how does it yeah. compare to the newbie for the master reset or did you see that one and and generally speaking there's a huge difference in neuroscience and physics behind pulse direct current and alternating current uh pulse direct current works uh, more similarly in the way that our body's natural electrical system you know kind of works and alternating current is kind of a uh, something that I would relate to. If you put alternating current on somebody's sore knee, like a TENS unit, yeah, it's going to numb the knee up and it's going to feel a little bit better, but if you turn it up high enough, it's actually going to cause a co-contraction of those muscles and co- actually cause the same effect that would happen when we have the uh, injury response. Whereas the newbie, it actually, as we talked about, it kind of works by identifying spots, where it's already hyperreactive, sending an afferent signal to the brain and kind of calming that thing down. So Uh, very similarly when you, when you simulate the vagus nerve with the newbie, uh, uh, like I said, one of the things that we also saw that actually works with that really well though, is pulse magnetic field specifically, uh, using low dose, low intensity PEMF in the same way. It doesn't work necessarily as good as a newbie based on our studies, but those two were the top two things, um, next to mindfulness and next to the things that diaphragmatic breathing and the things that take some effort they take some practice to do and that's actually like if you can just throw the newbie on your neck and on your feet versus you have to learn how to meditate properly and be able to do it it's just you know the, the fact of the matter is we're kind of like a um, low attention span society still and so something that you could just apply that yeah. also by the way lasts sometimes for two or three days afterwards and then yeah. you start less and less of those things as you do them more um right and so uh it's just kind of a different way to look at it like and when people come to physical therapy specifically they want to be treated and worked on they don't want to just come in and do the same you know lack of a better term crap that they could be doing at home but you do it in the clinic because they're paying you a copay you want to have something that's a differentiator and whether it's hands-on techniques that they can't get whether you do dry needling and you do that whether you have the newbie or pemf or hrv you need to kind of be able to show them value when they come to you for things that they can't just do on their own, right? <laughs> so Yeah,
0: absolutely. But you hey, also well,
1: need to educate them for follow-up and for for continuity for sure. But when they're there, don't do the same stuff that you already gave them to do for follow-up and for maintenance. Right. You know? Yeah,
0: exactly. Yeah, I think that's why I, I know uh, me, family members, friends, like that, that, well, I'm doing these exercises at home. I got my printout. Like, yeah, why? Why do I have to drive across town and you know skip work and do that? So I love, I love that integration of technology and thanks for that vagal stimulation because again, it's something that I'm trying to like. I get asked a lot too. Is like this? What is this? Is it worth the? Uh, is it worth fifty dollars? Is it worth the hundred dollar product? Two hundred dollar product and. You know, I, it just is kind of hard to recommend because I haven't tried them all. And the science is sort of sketchy. So not sketchy. I wouldn't say that. But I think I think there's question marks around it. Yeah. So hearing that experience and that that methodology is really, I think, useful and probably for our audience as well as they they kind of manage uh, this. I think we get all excited about it because we get we're such nerves for the ventral vagal nerve that right. like, oh, we can stimulate this yeah, and maybe yeah. the non-meditator or. You know, you can sit on the couch, watch Netflix and zap yourself. So yeah, we're
1: actually working with another company. We're always experimenting. And just to show you how seriously we take this, we're not just going to do like a short term single person case study and and put it out there that it works. and Everybody should do it. Uh, We're working with another company with another device that uses a combination of magnets, infrared light, heat and micro vibration at certain frequencies that uh, they're doing work with a um, retired military veterans group. Uh, with PTSD. And they're noticing that if they put it over like the neck and, you know, the front of their chest, then kind of stimulate that, that they're also improving in their vitals. They're not looking at HRV specifically, but all the things that HRV would affect, respiratory, yeah. resting heart rate, you know, all those things. And over, t- over a short period of time, they're noticing improvements. So we're looking at, you know, testing that across the broader, broader spectrum. But every quarter, uh, my staff and my physical therapy practice, we have a kind of a professional development project. And a couple of quarters ago, we actually utilized um, your system, Optimal HRV as, and did the mindfulness, you know, the biofeedback and the mindfulness as, you know, they had to do, I think 10 or 20 minutes, three times a week with that. We had a group A that did that and we had a, and measured their heart rate variability before and after. And we had a group that did the master reset on the newbie. And we kind of compared those things, which I, the results were pretty comparable with how oh, it, interesting how it affected, cool. uh, you know, and this was, we have a staff of like 12 people. So it wasn't yeah. a huge, but like six of each. And we did it over three months and to kind of, you know, identify those things. So we're always like spending more time. If there could be a take-home message to any clinicians, but, you know, specifically physical therapists that are listening to this. And, you know, we'll certainly promote it across our channels to get to more physical therapists once it's published, but it's, uh, you know, Utilize your clinic to to you don't have to use your patients that are coming in there to get help as guinea pigs, but you start paying attention to things. You know, start paying attention to things that are helping and not helping. And you know, when I teach people how to use utilize a newbie or HRE and bring it on board, you know, we start talking about protocols. And uh, I laugh because, you know, as a young therapist, anybody who's ever heard the word protocol can remember, you know, their first job and their second patient. And they deviated like one line from the doctor's post-op protocol and the doctor calls the boss and says, I'm never sending another patient to you again. If your therapist doesn't do ultrasound on visit two with every single patient, they're deviating from my protocol. So I'm very careful when I mention about how we develop protocols with the technology that we're bringing to market. But the way I define it is it's just a starting point. Like if you've not done a lot of these things or a lot of these, seen a lot of these patients, it's just a starting point to kind of not be afraid to utilize the technology. But as you, protocols are made to evolve and get better. So we can give you a starting point to at least do something, get started, right? As you see through experience, education, you know, use that you can kind of deviate from that, do that as soon as possible. But we don't want you to not be, uh, you know, Courageous enough to at least use something new and start it. So we give you a starting point, you know, and we call them uh, quick start guides to you, whether it's a newbie or HRB or kind of things like that. But we want our protocols to be expanded upon because you know we have a lot of bright people that are in this field that they're clinicians, they're not technicians. But if you kind of give them a starting point, it'll be more well adopted, I think. You know, that whole blue ocean mindset.
0: Yeah, awesome. Let me get you out of here on this one. Is I would love it as a, somebody who's and you can HRB technology. I'll I'll let you play with whichever way you want to go, but love to get you looking five, 10 years down the road. Where where is somebody who's an, I would say an ultra early adapter of technology, maybe in that five or three uh, percent on that edge of the curve. Where do you where do you kind of see? hrv going technology going around autonomic nervous system regulation where 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 do you see this uh headed beyond physical therapy just just in the health and wellness uh uh space
1: yeah i um let me kind of think on that for for a minute but you know i think um our we had a lofty goal five years ago uh you know with reaching the new technology like if we can get to five percent Yeah. I think back then it was 30,000 practices. And so I think we've reached that many, not maybe that many that are actual adopters, but people that are starting to kind of, you know, starting to kind of listen to the new things. But one of the things I tell every person that will listen to me, you know, again, we're talking about my area of expertise currently is, which is outpatient physical, outpatient private physical therapy practice or outpatient practice is when a patient just from a business standpoint, forget about how much value you're going to add to helping them get better quicker, which will also be yeah. a byproduct. But if a patient walks into your practice, and I may be dating myself by you know sharing these brands, but <laughs> when a patient walks into your practice, the physical therapy practice of the future, um they should feel like they're walking into an Apple store, right? You walk into the Apple store. It's very neat. It's very minimalistic, modernized. Every section has its own space. And, you know, I'm in the laptop section. I'm in the phone section. I'm in the, yeah. you know, whatever iPod section, I'm in the you know TV site, whatever it is. Uh, and it's, they shouldn't think they're walking into a radio shack, right? right. <laughs> the most outpatient practices, you have to be willing to reinvest in your, in your, in your product, in your, in your business. And I think um, if physical therapists uh, can think of their business model as what product am I delivering to my customer base or any medical practitioner, yeah. not necessarily am I, you know, developing, a de- you know, de- providing a service, but what do they think of your product? Do they think you're the most innovative and you get them better the quickest and you have a differentiator and you have the education, training, support, staff, equipment, yeah. Um, that's where heart rate variability could really help like exponentially. I mean, we don't even have to deviate into the general world. I mean, there's enough in there just in the physical medicine and the outpatient yeah. you know, practice thing, but, uh, heart rate variability is something that if you want people to think you're, uh, George Jetson and not Fred Flintstone <laughs> yes, <laughs> better be adopting it because it's such an easy thing to really tap into somebody's, uh, you know, inner workings of of the system in their body that virtually controls the health and well-being of every other system. We look at one metric called biological age. I'll just end on this. And uh, most researchers, when you can kind of quantify biological age versus chronological age, will see that as what is your lifespan? What is your longevity? You know, how, lo- how long, you know, if, you know, are you going to live if yeah. all the other systems are working and you don't right. get hit by the proverbial truck, right? And so that's one of the metrics that we share with people. And if you could show, you know, they come in and they're 55 years old after a total knee replacement. And we look at, you know, the heart rate variability system we use in clinic and it says their biological age is 75, not 55. But within a week, week, even after we're helping them recover from their total knee replacement, we retest them and now shows they're 50. Yeah. By doing the proper education and not in smoke and mirrors, but really by backing it with the science behind it, I mean, they gain 20 years of their life back while they're rehabbing from their knee that they never would have known about because, you know, nobody else is addressing that. I mean, that's real value to me. And that's kind of where I see, you know, the message of heart rate variability coming in. There's other things that are important out there as well. But if you can just look at that one thing and specifically biological age, like, wow, it's funny. they always like, hey, I could tell my wife now that she doesn't have to go out and get a younger version. (laughs) (laughs) Or or if you get it, we we hear this all the time when we produce... um, results for pro athletes especially the ones that are getting into like maybe their 30 to 35 year age group and uh they're getting ready for a contract year and we're like i've had pro athletes say hey my heart rate variability says I'm not 32, but it says I'm 22. Can I share this with my agent so he can use this to actually from <laughs> that inside? I'm not really that old. I mean, I've actually had pro athletes ask me that Yeah, so it's kind of the other end of the spectrum. You know? <laughs>
0: it, it is fascinating though, because like doing these, I mean, it keeps, it keeps you young in ways that I, I mean, I obviously haven't been 30 in a long time at this point, but it's like, I, I I believe I feel better now, but it took those like years of practice and thinking about diet differently, nutrition, like, but, but that the payoff uh, is like, okay, I could, you know, wake up still every day with energy to get excited about my work and you know that that payoff and I think to give a number around that um heart rate variability is one of those factors that that keeps me in check but i love that biological age i mean
1: people have always seen people everybody that's listening to this can relate they've seen a really young 65 year old and yeah. they're like wow i can't believe they're 65 it's not just appearance it's everything right right how their how their presence is and then they've seen like a really old 32 year old right So you, everybody can relate to thinking of one person right now they ran into in the past week they're like wow they're that old or wow they're that young that's like the best way to kind of characterize it i think so
0: yep absolutely well jason uh this has been a fabulous uh show i really appreciate your time uh i know the audience uh will quickly recognize why i love uh what you do uh partnering with you all in in your great work i love how you think uh so it's been great to uh, learn from you learn what you're doing and uh, share that with the audience um if you could just give a quick uh if people are interested in your work obviously we're going to put this in the show notes but maybe just a, a quick web, web address or two uh sure. for those maybe uh driving in the car and can put it in their notes
1: sure the medical technology company that we've been mostly talking about is new pt tech um if you they can see my shirt if, Great they're, dri- shirt. Or, Great if shirt. they're not driving but it's neupttec dot uh my email is jason at newpttech.com uh my uh, physical therapy practice. It's called CEP Physical Therapy. Uh, it's com. if you want to see what we're doing local to Tampa. But uh, if anybody ever has any questions and wants to reach out, uh, I spend most of my time, I'm afforded the time now to, to work with any practitioner, clinician, you know, a consumer that is interested in learning more about any of this stuff. And I always make it a point to talk to them. So reach out to me and be happy to set up a Zoom call or a phone call or anything like that.
0: Awesome. Great. Thanks so much, Jason. And uh, as always at uh go to the podcast link. You can find show notes. Uh, we'll we'll put all that information in there. And uh, thank you, Jason. Thank you the audience. I uh, uh, really enjoyed this episode, and we'll see you next week.
1: Thank you.